Hey lady, it's Dr. Dom here. If you like this show and you want to make your own, let me tell you about the free platform Anchor. It's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. You can add songs from Spotify and create any type of content that you are looking for. Anchor will distribute it all for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. On this week's episode of Cultivating Her Space. I like to say that, yes, I'm adopted ultimately, but I think the form of family separation plays into everybody's life in some sort of way, whether you've experienced your child of divorce or whatever the case is. And so we've all had some sort of experience. And so I think, yeah, under the umbrella of family separation is where adoption lies, but there are so many different facets of it. And I'm learning that day by day with more conversations like these. Today's episode is sure to provide you with motivation, inspiration, or a fresh perspective. If you have any aha moments or appreciate anything from this episode, please leave us a review to let us know we're on the right track. Also, we release episodes every Friday, so be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit cultivatingherspace.com to access our exclusive after show and other bonus content from the Patreon tab. Welcome to Cultivating Her Space, a podcast dedicated to uplifting women like you. We're your hosts, Dr. Dominique Broussard, a college professor and psychologist, and Terry Lomax, a techie and motivational speaker. In a world where Black women are often misrepresented and misunderstood, please join us as we initiate authentic conversations on everything from fibroids to fake friends and create a safe space where Black women can just be. Hey lady, it's Dr. Dom here from the Cultivating Her Space podcast. Are you currently a resident of the state of California? and contemplating starting your therapy journey? Well, if so, please reach out to me at drdominiquebroussard.com. That's D-R-D-O-M-I-N-I-Q-U-E-B-R-O-U-S-S-A-R-D.com to schedule a free 15-minute consultation. I look forward to hearing from you. All right, lady, today we have a very special guest in Cultivating Her Space. So we're just going to jump on in and introduce her to you. Opal Franklin is a Bay Area native and former foster youth. She is the writer of Story Noir, a platform on Medium where she discusses her current and past life experiences by redefining narratives and shifting perspectives. Today, we're going to talk all about transracial adoption. So Opal, welcome to Cultivating Her Space. Thank you so much for sharing space with me today. It's really awesome to meet both of you for the first time. I am super excited to be here and to have this conversation. Thank you. We are super excited to have this conversation as well. And we know that we have so much to learn. So I'm just going to pass it on over to Dr. Dom to take us into our quote of the day. So Opal, this quote will sound familiar to you because as we were doing our research on you, We came across this quote on your Instagram page. So this quote is actually a poem from F.S. Yusuf. There is nothing more delightful than you, my love. Even though you do not think so, 
I hold you closer than anything else that has entered my life. Oh, yes. So opal. It was on your Instagram page, so I'm assuming that this quote has some deep meaning for you. So share with us, because I was, you know, Terry and I were talking and we had our own interpretations and brief philosophical conversation about what it could have meant. But for you, Opal, what does this quote, this poem mean? Yes. So this poem is one um, by F.S. Yusof, who is a fellow writer. I don't know them personally, but they did like the photo and that like really made my day after I posted it. I tend to target like small and up and coming writers and repost their work just because it's a little bit easier to engage with them than larger scale writers. And so I received the poetry book that was in it. It's called Euphoria. And when I was reading through it, it was, I could tell that he was in a space of being really, really in love. And it's kind of shown on his Instagram page with his wife. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so pure and so amazing. And so even though at the time that I posted it, I didn't have a specific love interest. I'm just a big old simp. You ask anyone, they'll tell you. And so I was just like, this is so amazing. And I think even though he dedicated it to the love of his life, I wanted to dedicate it to myself because I was finally finding myself love and it was an interesting time. And so I knew that I interpreted it, it for me, but I think those who re- read it could really interpret it for any sort of situation in their life. And so I just thought it was so deep and just so amazing. And so the fact that you all surfaced it is like, oh, so amazing. So I, I appreciate you for, for shining light on it. Yay. Thank you for sharing too. That's so exciting because we, we kind of had that when we discussed what we thought it meant, we kind of leaned into what you shared versus the writer's experience. So thank you for sharing what that means to you. Can you talk to us a little bit about your origin story, Opal? And like, what is your story for those who are not familiar with you and your background? Absolutely. And so I coined the term story noir just because I found that Telling my story has always been a little bit complex. Right now, I am 24 years old, but I really didn't reveal the fact that I was adopted until about two years ago to people. And so people would understand I wasn't raised by my biological parents, which was an apparent thing. And I can get to the, the definitions of transracial adoption. But it was I, I took somewhat of a colorblind approach of this has always been my family. You know, what happened before It's not that it didn't matter necessarily, but it wasn't something that I made at the forefront of my identity. And it would be interesting with regards to my adoption, specifically when it came to dating, because it would be like, I would find a love interest and then it'd be like the second or third date that we're hanging out. And then I would be like, well, I have this kind of secret thing. And they're like, well, you know, what's going on? You know, are you wanted? Are you on the run? Or, you know, all these different kinds of things. And I'm like, well, I'm adopted. And that conversation has gone many different ways. One of the last times that I had a love interest come over, I had them come over to my mom's house just to just to visit for a second. But I forgot that I hadn't had the conversation. And so when they came into my house, they saw the family pictures and my, my, my adopted family is white. And so like they walked up and I could tell that they were a little bit confused. It was like, Hmm. Like they didn't want to necessarily ask, but it's like, I was like, oh no, like I haven't had this conversation. And so I kind of freaked out and I actually ended up, I was like, you know what? Like, let's, let's go, like, let's go take a walk around the neighborhood just because I was freaking out. And they were like, why are you so nervous? Like what's going on? I'm like, we need to go because I just was not ready to have that conversation. And so 
a bit of my origin story is I was born in Oakland in the Bay Area, born and raised where my family is from. And it was during a time, something that I found millions of people have, millions of families have experienced during the crack cocaine era. And because of that, a lot of families experienced separation. And so I was the fifth child of my mother. I was her only daughter, (laughs) the favorite, presumably, but don't ask anyone about that. And so due to the things that go on in families when, when substances are involved, unfortunately, we were all separated. And so my journey was very unique in the sense that out of my all, out of all of my siblings, I was the only one who didn't have to go through the foster care system. And so I was adopted uh, or I was placed under guardianship right when I was born. I was considered like a ward of the state for all intents and purposes. I lived with my grandmother for a little bit over nine months, but then unfortunately she wasn't able to care for me in the ways that a parent should be able to care for a child. And so I ultimately, I was taken under the guardianship of a white couple who lived in a neighboring city in the East Bay area. And so when I was growing up with my white parents, they took a very colorblind approach. Of course, it was always like, you know, mommy, like, why don't I look like you? You know, why, why is my skin brown? And she would often like take her palm and she'd be like, well, we're the same color, you know, like this way. And like, you know, you're the same. And, you know, So I think that it was more of the outside world that had an issue with our like multicultural family opposed to when I was at home. And so when I would be on the playground at school, people would often be like, oh, why do you act like that? Why do you talk like that? People would, I I just felt very different. But at home, I felt like I was the same. And so I went to, I, I did go through public school. And so when I was at school, people would be, you know, it was very multicultural. I was very blessed to to grow up in a very multicultural space. And so I knew a lot of kids who came from biracial or interracial families, but adopted families were really not the norm where I was from. And so it'd be like, oh, you know, you must have like, you know, one white parent, one black parent. But then when both of my parents would come to back to school night or like soccer games, it would be like, huh? And uh, my parents are also 48 years older than me. So people would be like, is that your grandpa? Is that your grandma? I'd be like, no, that's my parents. And they'd be like, huh? And so as I continued to go through adolescence, I actually grew a lot of resentment because I wouldn't want my parents to be around because I wouldn't want to be like found out. And so, you know, kids want their parents to show up to games and to support them. But to me, it was like, no, because like everyone's going to start to talk about me. And as we all know, kids are very, very mean. And they had a lot of things to say about me. And there are a lot of misconceptions about adoption, which I'm happy to go through a little bit later, but it was traumatizing. And so I eventually ended up transferring to a quote unquote better elementary school, aka better is sometimes synonymous with white, which was not better for me. And so the white kid, I was too black for the white kids and too white for the black kids, which is a dichotomy a lot of people fall into. But yeah, they were they did not take too kindly to me either. And so by the time I reticulated into middle school, I was getting bullied. It was harsh because I was now with a lot of kids from like the inner city, but also kids from the hills. And I was like, well, I'm kind of from both of the worlds and like, well, where do you fit in Opal? And so I knew that when I wanted, I had an option to go to my local high school. And then I also had the option to go to a high school that was on a community college campus. And with that program, I would have been able to, once I finished high school, I would have enough college credits to only have to do two years of school. And so with between like the extreme bullying and, you know, all the bodily changes and things I was going through at, you know, age 13 and 14, I opted to go to that high school for academically kind of excelled children. And so that was really, really great. 
And it was a fresh start for me because these were kids from like other middle schools, no one really from from my specific middle school. And so it was like a new identity, so to speak. People didn't necessarily know that I was adopted because by then I was more independent. I think adoption and like trying to hide that made me very independent, whereas like taking the bus or I would walk or just not have to have my parents pick me up. But the funny part was that my mom used to work at that community college. So all the staff knew me as well. So it was the staff who knew my quote unquote secret, but not the kids. And so the the the, the students would be like, well, well, how do you know everyone here? And I'm like, well, my mom worked here. So it was just, it was a very interesting time in my life. And so by the time I graduated high school, I knew I wanted to, of course, go to a four year, but I was five credits short. And I was like, oh no, like, what am I going to do? But I was in a really good place in my life by then. I was working, I had an internship. And so I did one more year at community college, which was really, really good for me. And I knew that I was interested in sociology and Black studies. I had a really awesome Black studies teacher in high school who taught us, I, I, I like to say, she taught us what life was like before the slave ship, because, you know, we're kings and queens, and we're so amazing. And so because I didn't really grow up with, with Black parents, learning in her class about who I am and where I stand in the world and the beauty and, of my Blackness, it, I was just enamored. I was fascinated. But the unfortunate part of when I was applying to, to university was people were like, well, what are you going to do with a Black studies degree? You can't, you can't do much with that. And I listened to that. So I went in as a sociology major with a Black studies minor. And so I ultimately got into UC Davis. And once I was at Davis, I was actually failing my classes. And I was on the verge of getting kicked out because of my sociology degree, because I was just unhappy. And it was a lot going on because I was first generation. I, it, there was just so much. and so. When I was on the verge of academic probation and subject to dismissal, they were like, well, your sociology classes are bad, but your Black Studies classes are really good. And I'm like, I know, but I'll never be able to do anything with a Black Studies degree. And my, my counselor was like, who told you that? And I was like, well, it's true. And I'm like, she's like, no, well, she did her math on her calculator. She's like, if you take one summer class, you're going to be able to graduate on time. And I was like, wait, really? So ultimately, I walked in as a sociology major and walked out as a Black Studies major and never looked back. And that was one of the most amazing things because contrary to popular belief, I've been able to leverage that degree in the best way possible. So once I graduated from UC Davis, I moved back to the Bay Area. I moved home with my mom and I started to work in tech. And so I got my first job at a very small seed stage startup where I was making coffee with a a robot that made coffee. And that's a whole other story for another day. But what would happen is when the customers would come in and be fascinated by this coffee making robot, Ultimately, I'd be like, well, you should work here. Like, it's, it's a really cool job to work with this robot. And so people would apply and they'd be like, you know, Opal's the one who recommended me. And I was helping build up the staff and recruiting. And so my, the COO at the time was like, well, Opal, you, sh- you know, you just graduated from school. You're making like 15 bucks an hour. Like, what can we do to salary you? And I'm like, salary? Like, what does that even mean? Because right. both of my parents are like, you know, they come, they're blue collar workers. And so it's like a salary, like, okay, that's in benefits. Like, oh my goodness, that sounds really awesome. And so ultimately I got to become a recruiter at the company and that was really, really fascinating to me. And so I was recruiting engineers for a little bit over nine months, but I knew that the company scale that I wanted to go to would afford me to form an employee resource group, which is something that I had heard about, but really didn't know much about. And so my COO ultimately was like, well, well, we're a 25 person company. Those are typically at larger scale companies. So why don't you extend your options? I'm like, are you kicking me out of the nest? She's like, no, I'm pushing you to, to exceed your limit. 
And so because I was in the heart of San Francisco, downtown on Market Street, I knew a lot of people. I was meeting people at the cafe. And so I found the next company that I started to work at. And that's where I really, really... Oh, it was so great because I was able to join the Black ERG. And I was about a year removed from school. But I still had that hive mentality of coming together with people with common interests. And also Mm -hmm. because I was in the recruiting org, a lot of the people that I was interviewing, I'd ultimately be like, well, hey, you should join our ERG once you're hired. And so building out from that, I became an ERG lead. And it was one of the most amazing things. I call this like pre-COVID because that was when we were all in the office. And so we had just gotten what I now know is a unicorn round of funding. And so with that came a lot of opportunity. And so with that opportunity, we were able to attend Afrotech and we, we were able to scale really awesome Black History Month events. This was February 2020. They were really, really awesome. And then, of course, the masks started coming on and it was like, oh, we're going to work from home for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. The whole situation is happening. And then, you know, summer 2020, need I say. Exactly. And what was interesting <laughs> about summer of 2020 is those who really put down my Black Studies degree, everyone was coming to me asking for academic, you know, pedagogy for their there new go. knowledge about what it is to be Black. Exactly. Interesting. Wow, full circle, right? Hmm. Hmm. I was laid off the week of Juneteenth, which a little salty about, but uh, yeah. Into that. And so I spent the summer advising a few companies about their ERG and DNI strategies because I had a lot of experience and a lot of passion for that. And so after that, in about October of 2020, is when I got where, my job where I'm at now. And that's where I work at a venture capital firm helping early stage startups scale and ultimately pushing my DNI agenda, as a lot of people like to say, onto these companies, which has been really, really full circle. And so how Story Noir came to fruition and fits into all of that is, I mean, it affords me the freedom to be able to write. They, they do know about my writing. I've had to sign a few things about it to, to be, you know, I, I, stick to, I stick to what I know when I don't really discuss my job. But it's, I think it's very important to have a passion project. And for me, writing is what it is. And so I think throughout that maturation process and telling people and owning who I am, part of it is my identity with adoption. And so I had to really take a step back and be like, well, I've never really told this story before. Like, how do I tell it? And so that's where ultimately the story noir came in. So story is ultimately engaging with people about their life situations. And then noir is twofold. On one hand, it's noir because I'm a black woman and I love to talk to black people about my stories. But noir is also the things that you don't see. Noir translates to black. It's like the things that you didn't know mm. that you may not have seen before. And that's where shifting perspectives comes in because me telling the world my story about adoption, a lot of people don't know about adoption. And so I'm exactly. here to that. And when people read my stuff, I'll often get comments of like, I had no idea that you went through that open. And I'm like, that's the noir part that I hid, the dark part. And exactly. I want to so I hope that makes sense. That's a little bit of a story. I know that's a lot of words, but let's dive into these questions because I know well, that's for, a lot that's bubbling. I just want to say, first off, you are a great storyteller because you definitely had us captivating. So I'm just like, we just going to sit back. We just going to sit over here and listen because, girl, you got a story. So just taking it all in. Now, I'm trying to organize my thoughts now because there are so many different parts where I was like, I just want to talk about some of the things that came to mind and then we can jump into whatever here. But I wanted to know about, you know, 
again, this is a topic that is new, relatively new for me. So I don't know a lot about it. And I hope I don't sound ignorant or ask no, silly questions. Please, but I'll, No, please, please ask but, the questions. Thank you. The first thing I'm thinking of is when you said you were, you know, you found a love interest and they were at the house and you talked about just, I could assume that there were so many strong emotions you had when it, when you were faced with an opportunity to talk about your secret, right? Which is being adopted. And, and that's something that as someone that wasn't adopted, I can't even imagine the anxiety and the stress and the feelings. So I thought about that and I'd love to know about that. But also I thought about you being the only girl of five children and how you were the only one that was not placed in foster care. And I'm wondering like, oh, wow, is it because your black brothers, they just kind of threw them in the system, right? So I'm thinking about that as well. And you just, you said so much and it was so powerful. So maybe I can, maybe we can start there and then we'll, we'll work our way around to any other questions. I can hone <laughs> in on the story of the family pictures. So it was basically like, you know, you have someone over, naturally you're curious, you see people on the wall. And so I was like, why, why is he standing there like that? And I'm like, oh, like, oh, snap, like, I, I didn't think about this. And so I, I think for me, what, what used to happen as a kid is I wouldn't like to have playdates at my house necessarily. I used to like to go to other people's houses because, I, again, I didn't necessarily want to be found out. And so that, that was, you know, it was very, very difficult. But it, ultimately, as I grew up, you know, it was, it was more normalized. But I think there was just a lot of fear because I wouldn't want people to ask, you know, what happened? because I would just be so insecure because I, I didn't really know how to put the pieces together. And you don't really want to tell people your whole, you're kind of forced to tell people your whole life story. Like I experienced this form of family separation and it's like, I don't really want to unpack that right now with you as like a stranger. And so I, I would actually make up a lot of different stories. I would be like, my, my mom was like a teen mom and couldn't keep me or someone passed away or just really whatever I could think of. But then I had to ask myself why I'm saying this. Why is this so, you know, am I ashamed of it? No, I'm not ashamed of it by any means. But I just never really was afforded the space to, to figure out and articulate what these things happened or what these things were. And so now as an adult writing about it, I've gotten so much great reception. And I have found that I like to say that, yes, I'm adopted ultimately, but I think the form of family separation plays into everybody's life in some sort of way, whether you've experienced your child of divorce or whatever the case is. And so we've all had some sort of experience. And so I think, yeah, under the umbrella of family separation is where adoption lies, but there are so many different facets of it. And I'm learning that day by day with more conversations like these. Wow. Oh, yeah. Okay. So yes, like Terry, I had so many questions as well that came up as I was listening to you. And so what was coming up for me as I was listening to you tell this amazing story is that there were so many moments where I saw some trauma, right? And so I was wondering, well, if you could speak to some of the psychological impact that you recognize now, as you're looking back, as you're reflecting on growing up, what were some of the psychological impacts of one, being adopted, but then two, all of the various times where you tried to hide it? What, what were the things, the psychological things that were coming up for you? So many. So I think, firstly, with regards to my identity and my blackness, I think that as a child, 
when people would find out that I was raised by two white parents, they'd be like, oh, so you're not black, really. Like, you don't act black. You don't do these black things. You don't know about these cultural nuances, which, interestingly enough, I did know a lot of cultural nuances because I grew up in such a multicultural community. And so I had a lot of black friends. And ultimately, what I would do is spend time with their families. Some of the friends that I still have to this day, I consider my, my mom and my dad. And so I would often try and like overcompensate sometimes as well, because I, I sometimes didn't feel legitimate enough. And so when I look in the mirror, I see a, a beautiful black woman, I have my natural hair, I have all these different things. But for people to legitimate, try to delegitimize it was very, very traumatizing, again, from a young age, and even into adulthood. And as a kid, I didn't have the words to really say these things of like, hey, I, this is my experience, this is my story. But now as an adult, I, I can definitely kind of ward off the ignorance and, ha- and have these conversations. So that's, that's part of it. But it was not easy having to fight for my identity. Oprah, I want to ask a question because I know I do have a few friends that I know who were in the foster care system and who have been adopted. I'd love to know what advice you have or if you have a personal experience that speaks to just what you would say to someone who might be struggling with feelings of unworthiness or, you know, the, I want to say the side effects of feeling maybe abandoned by their parents because they were adopted. Was that your experience? And if not, can you maybe offer some type of insider advice from what your research to help those who might be in that space right now? What's interesting is that, I mean, even like I said, I'm not too, too old, but I didn't grow up with social media. But nowadays with the advent of hashtags, you would be surprised. It's very, very awesome because there's a whole community out there of adoptees who talk to each other online and you can look, I DM people all the time and I'm like, oh my goodness, like this is your experience. And so I've met people from all over the world who have had these experiences. And so I wish that I had that as a kid, because as, as a child, I didn't know anyone else who was a transracial adoptee. I knew an adoptee who is white and was raised by a white family. So ultimately their experience was different, but it was, it was tough. It was definitely very difficult. Yeah. You know, I watch this TV show, This Is Us, and one of the, the experiences on there is about transracial adoption, right? And so you have this young black kid, the, the infant, the way the story, the story is told is that this infant is taken in by this white family and raised his entire life by this white family. And so it's not as uncommon as we would like to think, right? And I know stories of white families who adopt kids from Latin America, kids from various countries in Asia. And so I have my own thoughts on like what what the motive is. Right. And what the intentions might be and the impact on those children. Right. But I also know that some of the thoughts that I might have might be fueled by misconceptions. And so, Opal, can you share with us what are some of the common misconceptions about transracial adoption and what's the correct way to think about this? Absolutely. Well, let me shift your perspective and redefine the narrative of adoption because that's what I'm here to do ultimately. So I think that Understanding that adoption, and I, I, I'm going to bucket it as family separation, 
it's not it's not a linear experience. Everyone's experience is very, very different. And so I think that ultimately holding space and wanting to understand is really the best way forward to having those conversations and, and learning and just talking to us because there are so many misconceptions out there. I think one that I will touch on is yes, I'm a black child. I'm I'm a black American child. I like to say I like to preface the fact that I'm black American because I think that the international black experience is very much different than being born here. I can't speak to what it is to be internationally adopted. And so as a black American being raised ultimately in the same environment that I that I was born in by white parents is I mean it it's it's very interesting. I think um, one misconception is that black kids who are adopted by white parents are like adopted by rich white parents. People think that I I did grow up for all intents and purposes, I did grow up on a hill, but it was a two bedroom house. It wasn't some mansion. And so people think like, oh, you know, you bring this cute little black baby home and, you know, you raise it and it's, you're going to take care of it. And it's going to grow up into this wonderful thing. But we, I had a lot of trauma as a kid. You know, I, w- I would cry a lot. I would be very, very angry and I would just be very just upset, but I wouldn't understand necessarily why that was. And so it was very, very tough for me to figure that out. And it, it's, it's hard because, you know, you, I see my, my skin and I don't look like the rest of my family. But again, my family wasn't the one who made an issue of it. It was more of a lot of other people who did. And so having to articulate that was really, really tough. And so just listen to people. I, I would definitely say those who wanted to inquire about, hey, you know, are those your real parents? I mean, I know people had questions, but I think it would be best, like, you know, to to really, you know, you wouldn't walk up to a stranger and ask them why they don't necessarily look like their parents. And so ultimately finding that right time to ask those questions is really what I wish people would do instead of just feel that they could pick apart and ask me about all these things. It was it was hard. And so the, the misconception I would touch on again is rich white parents. That's not everybody's experience. Everyone's experience is very, 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 very different. That's a really good point, because I think that a lot of folks, me included, will assume that if you see a white family adopting a, you know, a black child or, you know, it's a transracial adoption, you know, they have a different child of a different race. You assume, oh, they're they're wealthy. Right. Like you just make that assumption, although some celebrities do it. That is a really good point. So I'm glad that you made that statement. But then also there's this idea of like people just need to mind their business. I know with kids, kids are like a whole in a whole different kids are just sometimes evil. You know what I mean? Like we all know how it can be, you know, when you're in, you know, middle school, high school, all that stuff. But I'm just like, why are people so concerned? The fact that you felt so safe and comfortable at home, you know, with your parents. And then when you went outside, that's where you got most of the, the, you know, the tension and resistance. It's just like, what? mind y'all business. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's the part that I'm, I'm holding on to right now. (laughs) If you talk to any transracial adoptee, I bet you they'll tell you the most triggering place is the grocery store because me as a little six year old, you know, like in the line with my mom, they would, they'd be like, are you together? Like, is is this your mom? The, the well-meaning, you know, grocery store clerk or wherever we go, it would always be, you know, is that is that your mom or is that your daughter? Oh, that's your daughter. And then that would also play into my relationship when babysitting because my mom worked with a lot of single parents. And so she'd be like, hey, you know, my 14 my year old daughter, you know, she needs some cash, you know, I can send her to babysit for you. And when I would show up to the, you know, these houses in the hills, you know, knock, 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 they'd be like, you're 
you're so-and-so's daughter? And I'd be like, oh, she didn't have that conversation with them. Like, what is my mom supposed to say? Like, my black daughter is going to be coming to babysit for you or meet my black daughter. And so whenever I would get introduced to people, it would just be very, very awkward because I would see that double take. And and that feels terrible. You know, it's it's a horrible feeling to have. Yeah, just very, very cuts that these things would make into my my young soul. And it happens nowadays, but not as not as much. So many questions here, but I don't know if you ladies have heard about when I believe there was a white mother. I believe she had a mixed daughter or a black daughter and they were getting on the plane and I believe someone at the someone on the plane, one of the staff members alerted authorities about assuming that it was like child sex trafficking or Ch- something like that. And it was like kidnapping. Yep. Yeah. Kidnapping or something like that. And so it makes you think about just with the wor- the way the world is today. It's like the question I guess I have, is like, what do you do right, when you don't know? And you're like, wait, this this looks abnormal. This looks this is not normal from my experience. So am I supposed to say something? Do I you know, so it's just that sounds like a very tricky well, situation to be in yeah i'm gonna segue with a very with a twofold thing so when i was adopted my parents did not change my last name so a lot of kids who are adopted into families will have their last names changed but franklin is the last name that i was born with and that's very intentional and so i traveled internationally with my family about 10 or 15 years ago and when my parents were together they also didn't uh, my mom did not take my mom my dad's last name so we all had different last names so you here you have this two, these two white kid, uh, two white parents with this black kid. Everyone's last names are different. Passport. It's like come over. Like I got pulled to the side, and they questioned us as to who who is this? You know who is this child? And that was embarrassing because people were looking at us. And I think I was like ten or eleven, but I was like, here we go again. And so that that was really really tough for me. That's something that I that story you mentioned. I I hadn't heard it specifically, but I've lived it myself, so I'm really not surprised. But Anywhere we went, because the fact that our last names were not the same and we didn't look alike at all was really, really tough. That is so hard because I think about there are kids out here being kidnapped and sex trafficked. And so I, I could see the people's intentions, but I could also see where we can be asking different questions. Absolutely. That, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, hey, can I check in with you? Your parents look different from you. We're concerned. We want to just make sure that you're safe. Exactly. Hard. It's hard. It's really, really difficult. And when I would go out with my dad, especially as I like began to mature, Lord knows the comments people would make. And I'm like, oh, this is my dad. Like, this is not exactly. my daddy. Wow. This is my exactly. Dad. I was going to say sugar baby. And even the, now, wow. as an adult, when he and I, you know, we, we wanted to take a picture recently for his birthday. And when we got together, they're like, oh, look at the lovely couple. And I had to shut it down real quick. I'm like, no, this is my father. It is his right. birthday. Like, you know, I'm giving him a kiss and everything. But yeah, it's your dad. It's, yeah, people. it's just so ridiculous. And so Ooh. I, you just learn to, to deal with it, but it does definitely leave a mark. Yeah. I would like to dive in a little bit about the whole last name situation because there yeah. are a lot of situations where kids' names are taken. And I think when it comes to transracial adoption, we know that when black when black people were brought to, quote unquote, the new world, not only were our, was our hair taken, but our last names were ultimately taken. And so for me as a young person, my parents did ask if I wanted to change my last name. 
But Franklin is something that I've held on to. It's part of my identity. And it's something that I would never want to give up. And I was officially adopted on paper the age of 21. And I actually I had the choice to change my birth certificate to have my adopted parents' name on it. But I opted to not change it. I wanted to keep my original birth certificate, which was a personal choice of mine. A lot of people, based on their own situation, will do as they please. And there's a lot, I mean, I think that's everyone's personal choice. But my choice was to keep my last name and to keep my original birth certificate because it's who I am. And I I just wouldn't, I wouldn't want to change that. That's so powerful, Opal. And I really appreciate you sharing that. I would love to know how can the parents support a child through their journey? And did it cause a rift for you and your parents when you began to embrace your blackness? Because I remember you stating that your mom was like, well, we're the same, right? And there is a, there's a degree of privilege that comes along with saying that you're colorblind, right? And saying, oh, well, we're the same here. In the household, that's fine. But out, outside, you are going to be looked at differently, right, from society. So what can parents do to support their children if they are, you know, a transracial adoptee? Oh, my goodness. So many different things. Having the conversation, firstly, and not taking a colorblind approach. I think that it would have been beneficial for me to like, hey, Opal, there are so many things that come with being a black person that I myself cannot necessarily relate to you, but leverage your community. I, as I mentioned, I did have friends who have black parents. And so spend time with them have, you know, as, as adults, my mom could have those conversations with those parents and be like, Opal may have questions that she's not comfortable coming to me about. And so really addressing the elephant in the room. There's no problem that I don't look like the rest of my family, but what do we to do about it? Let's have this conversation. And so it was, I think maybe in high school was when I really started to embrace my blackness in that sense of wanting to learn about it. Because for me, I've never been ashamed to be black. A lot of, I found a lot of transracial adoptees have like tried to hide elements of themselves, especially biracial black adoptees would try and blend in with the family or Kind of put up there, there are just a lot of different stories but for me I was never afraid to to embrace my blackness fully I just didn't necessarily have the knowledge about about it and so when I started to learn it from a textbook aspect was when I started to have these conversations and my parents they I mean they never took black studies classes and so I would I would share knowledge with them and have these conversations at dinner and so they they really embraced it and they did come to my black graduation. They're, you know, one of the few white families there, but they, they were jamming and my mom is down. She, she listens to her music. Like it's, yes. it's amazing. And so I, that's why I'm all the more grateful to have grown up in the East Bay area because a lot of the transracial adoptees didn't meet other black people until they were adults. And I could not imagine without right. being like, and they struggle a lot more with their identity and accepting that. Yeah. But again, that's their narrative to share. I know with mine that, Yes, I was raised by white folks, but I also was raised in a very multicultural community, which is something that a lot of PRAs or transracial have not been able to experience. And it, it's been very, very bad. So for me, I, I'm, I'm in a good place, but I still have my traumas. And I'd like to get into a little bit later about the relationship with my siblings, because there's been a big rift in that as well. And so, well, Opal... This conversation is just so powerful. Like you are sharing so much with us. And so what I think we should do is have a separate episode. So we're going to we're going to invite you back 
and have a conversation where we focus solely on your relationship with your siblings and your birth parents. Oh my goodness, that's like a two-hour episode. <laughs> yeah, that's why we said we want to get we want to pay it the respect, and so we since we focus this conversation so much on the adoption process and your parents we want to have a separate episode where we focus on your siblings and your birth parents so i'd be more than willing to have that conversation question for you though before we before we shift up the energy of this conversation is there anything else about this particular topic that we maybe didn't cover or that would be super important for folks to know about? So for me, on paper, I was considered a foster youth. And so foster care, again, is something that we can also talk about in our next episode. But I just think that when, when ultimately thinking about adoption, foster care is always a good place to start. I think that there's a glamorization of international adoption but start locally, I would say, because there are so many people who are in need locally of having those conversations and a lot of care. So that, that would be the ultimate takeaway for that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate that, Opal. And we're just going to go ahead and shift up the energy of the conversation. And let's dive on in. So Opal, because we recognize, appreciate, and celebrate the multifaceted woman, and we believe that it's okay to be bougie, classy, and ratchet, right? You can still be elegant and dance to strip club music if you so choose. We want to invite you to the OU Blatchet segment. So do you take on the challenge, Opal? Oh, snap. Okay. I Challenge accepted. I volunteer as tribute. Yes. I love that. Yes. We got her. All right. So now, Opal, what we're going to have you do, we want you to answer three questions. We're going to share three sentence completions. And then we have some photos of you pulled up on screen, but we want you to choose a number one through three, and it will show you that particular photo. And if you could give us more context about the photo that we wouldn't know by looking at the photo, that'll be great. So are you ready for the challenge? I am ready. All right, let's dive on in. So Opal, what is the best piece of advice or wisdom you've ever received? Oh my goodness, this might sound cliche, but be yourself because growing up, per the conversation we just had, it was very hard for me to be myself. So just be yourself. I I would just say be 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 who you are because you're you're no one else is gonna share for you like you're gonna share for yourself. So that's that's my best advice for now. I love that. I love that. So our next question. Twerk? Or two step. What about a two step with a twerk? Oh, okay, okay. We you see that energy. Work. Okay. I don't like to limit myself. I, you know, a little th- th- ah, like, you know, that's that's what I, that's my answer, and I'm sticking to it. That's right. She's gonna stick beside her answer. Okay, come on, Opal. Come on. <laughs> so, Opal, the next question is: What's the sexiest item you own? I would say this is going to be an interesting answer, a mirror, because that that's where I get my confidence. That's where I can feel sexy. It's like I can look in that mirror and be like, you are a boss, you know, be. And then you also, can say it, girl. Say that. Yes. Even, you know, okay, okay, I got you. Like, you know, I got I'm, you. I'm like, damn. Like, okay. Yes. Like, that's a bad B right there. 
that is. And so that is where I get my ultimate sexy confidence from. I be taking pictures in there. I look at my, it's, it's, it's a, so I would say my mirror is my place to go because when I need to really see myself for who I am, that's, that's where I get that from. Because again, being myself, juxtaposing that question you just asked, like she do it in the mirror, two step in yes. the mirror. I love it. Yes. Love that's it. That's a beautiful answer. Yes. I like that answer. The second yes. item is the mirror. Mirror. Okay. okay. So now we have a sentence completion. The most embarrassing thing I've ever done to get a crush's attention is... There was this person that I found on Instagram. This was earlier this year and they were running this campaign. They're like super into activism and whatnot. And I was trying to DM them and like trying to get their attention. I, you know, would comment and do my thing. And so the way that I got their attention is I Venmoed them. And in the, in the invoice, I put my number in it. And oh, they messaged so me back. They were like, hey, you know, thanks so much for the, the Venmo. Like, I appreciate you. And I'm like, yeah, I appreciate oh, you too. Like, mm-hmm. like, what's good? Ultimately, it didn't end up being anything. But that was the, so forget sliding in the DMs. Like, I, yeah, Venmo. Sliding Venmo. the Venmo. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Like, that's okay. So, that's brilliant. That's a boss ass move right there. I, I think, like the right? way you think. Okay. And I made it a good amount too. So, you know, they had to notice me. Oh, oh, okay. We're making boss moves over here. Go ahead. All right. Our next sentence completion is one question or topic I wish people asked me about more often is. I say about juggling. That's something that I learned because as a kid, I actually went to a circus performing arts camp. And I learned how to juggle. I learned how to walk on stilts. I learned how to walk on a trapeze. And so it's actually a really good conversation starter at parties. What I'll do, like, because I'm sometimes a wallflower, if I see like three lemons or three kiwis or three like things that I can juggle, I'll just like go over, pull them and I'll start juggling. People like, what? What's that black girl doing over there juggling? And I did it yesterday too at work and people were enamored by it. And so, yeah, that's, that's my answer. <laughs> I wish people would be so like, cool. ask me more about my time when I thought that I was going to one day join the circus my group. You have something to juggle right now? Can you juggle something right now? I probably could. Really? Yeah, can we? We'll do it next time, Opal. We'll do it next time. I don't want you to have to search for anything. I was not ready for that. Let me just say... Actually, wait, I have three avocado really? plates that I can juggle. Oh my gosh. Okay, let's do it. This is the first All time right. we've ever done this. This is amazing. I'll be right back. Okay. Well, shoot. We're going to, we'll keep the show going, Opal. This is a, yes. look at this. Okay. okay. All right, ladies, you're going to have to tune in on Patreon, girl, to see Opal throw down and juggle these avocados. This is super dope. Yes. I'm excited. Oh, snap, Opal. She said, I got three avocados right there. We about to make it happen. Okay. Oh, my goodness. I was not ready. Conversation started, right? Right? Because literally, she she said juggling, and I thought... She about to... Opal, I thought she was about to twerk and juggle. Right? (laughs) There she goes. Go ahead, Listen. Yo. Yes! (laughs) Opal... Now, Opal, you couldn't hear us. Can you hear us now? You couldn't hear us. We thought you were about to twerk and juggle when you went down, but I know you were making that you were allowing us to see. <laughs> you were making sure we could see you and the camera. That was awesome. That's impressive. Yes. Go ahead, girl. Super okay. impressive. Yes. Okay, we see you over here. Oh, goodness. Okay, Dom. I, 
Okay. So, I mean, I feel like I want to answer this statement for you, but I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you answer for yourself and speak for yourself. But (laughs) this, this final sentence completion is what I love most about myself is that I can talk to pretty much anybody. Part of my job as a recruiter is I have to talk to people from all walks of life, all walks, some crawls, and some, some drags, but you know, ultimately, you know, we rolling through. And so being able to find at least one common thing is something that I've learned to do over the years. And it's been very, very useful, not only in my professional life, but also career-wise and personally, like I said, DMing or Venmoing people is, you know, my way of doing it, approaching people in very, kind of unorthodox ways I've, I've learned how to do. <laughs> oh, well, you are a whole vibe. I think that is an amazing trait to have. And so now what we're going to do, Opal, is we want you to choose a number between one and three, and then we're going to reveal a photo for you. So feel free to choose your number. Two. I like the number two. Nice. This looks like a good one. All right. So feel free for folks that are not tuning in on Patreon and not watching the episode, feel free to tell them what this photo is and then tell us something about the photo we would not know by looking at it. Oh my goodness. Okay. So this is a really good example of me being able to talk to just anyone because this is my friend, my now friend T. I slid into her DMs on Instagram because she's also into reading books. And as you see, that's why we're reading the book here. And so this is like a picture of us in Los Angeles. I believe two or three weeks ago, I went down there for Halloween weekend, but I sent her a cold message. I was like, hey, you know, I'm going to be in LA. Like, if you want to meet an internet stranger, you know, let's let's go here. And she was like, heck yes. And so I hope that she'll be able to hear this podcast episode and know that we spoke about her because she's really, really awesome. And again, this is just a stranger from the internet that I didn't know, you know, two or three months ago, but we, we disengaged and found a lot of common ground. And it was it was amazing. And so, yeah, she she surprised me with these books. I was just so enamored by her energy. And so she's she's a really awesome person as well to read um, and talk about. So, yeah, good, good stuff. What someone might not know about this photo. I don't know. I I think you nailed it with the way you guys met. That's awesome. Thing crazy that happened behind this photo. But yeah, it was so amazing meeting her because that's that's just kind of, you know, part of my personality is walking up to people and cold emailing, kind of like I did with y'all. Yeah. We're grateful for you, Opal, for reaching out. I mean, you I mean, when you shared your story initially, I got a little teary-eyed. I thought I was gonna have to get tissues just thinking about all that you've been through, but I'm so happy that you're here. And you're able to share your story and inspire other people and liberate them and just provide a, a voice and a role model and a way out for those that may have struggled with the things that you struggle with, but may not know how to cope or how to move forward or how to find themselves. So we appreciate you and celebrate you. And I'm so looking forward to our next conversation. Dave, the sentiment is shared. I, I appreciate y'all for taking a chance on someone who you randomly met on the internet, but you all radiate such great energy and the fact that I feel empowered to share my story with folks that I've never met before. It all it shows really the the magic in redefining those narratives and shifting those perspectives. And so thank you all so so much. And I, I really do look forward to the next conversation. Thank you, Opal. We want to let people know though, Opal, how can they find you online? How can they support you? What are you working on right now? National Adoption Day is actually going to be this Saturday on the 20th. And so I'm going to be releasing an article in conjunction with this podcast episode just about my story. And so 
The way to find me would best be on Medium. That's where you can find the, the juicy content with more adjacent to my transracial adoption experience. But if you want a more fun, lighthearted content, spirituality, lifestyle book on my Instagram at Story Noir. So across the board at Story Noir, mainly on Instagram and Medium and Twitter. I can't do Twitter. They're too mean out there. I'm, I'm meant for the Twitter street. So for now, yeah. we're going to keep it on Instagram. But those are the two platforms that you can find me at. Amazing. So lady, go support yes. her media page, like follow her, comment, just show mad love so she can just see all the comments, drop some green hearts, all that good stuff so that she knows that you listened and you followed her. Yes. And I believe National Adoption Day is November 20th. This may air after National Adoption Day, but as long as you 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 know the date now. So for future years to come, you know November 20th, that's exactly. the day. And it's National Thank Adoption Month too. So oh, there we go. Yes, exactly. Boom. Exactly. All right now. Thank you so much, Opal. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I and I look forward to seeing you all soon. Hey lady. It's Terry here from the Cultivating Her Space podcast. I'm hosting a free podcasting masterclass where I'm going to teach you how to create your impactful podcast and how you can generate multiple streams of income. You can visit podcastwithterry.com to register for free. I hope to see you there. Thanks for joining us today. Please note that our show may contain conversations about self-help, advice, self-empowerment, and mental health, but is by no means meant to be a substitute for an ongoing formal relationship with a trained mental health provider. If you or someone you know is in need of mental health care, please visit the Therapy for Black Girls directory, Psychology Today, or contact your insurance provider. If you liked what you heard and want to keep the conversation going, visit our website, cultivatingherspace.com, and be sure to click the Patreon tab to get access to video content, bonuses, and our weekly after show. And before we meet again, repeat after me. Greatness is my birthright, so I no longer ask for permission.